Tonight we're continuing that series on, on, on service. Last week, Zach kicked off that series and he walked us through what it means to have the heart of a servant. And we examined the example of Jesus Christ, who's obviously the ultimate servant leader, who had and still has every right to be our leader, while at the same time, he makes himself our servant in so many ways, primarily by offering his life on the cross for us. He serves us as he leads us. And so tonight we'll examine the example of Jesus as a servant leader again, but tonight it'll be from a different perspective. Because last week we talked about having the heart of a servant. Well, tonight we're talking about having the mind of a servant. And that's important because if we want to be servant leaders, our hearts have to be in the right place. We looked at that last week. But unless we start thinking like a servant leader, we're going to struggle with actually being servant leaders. So tonight we're focusing on Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8, so turn with me there if you haven't already. Um, And here we'll see a critical passage that explains to us the mind that Jesus had when he chose to serve us. And so we'll see the thoughts that we need to have if we want to follow in his footsteps and be good servant leaders as well. So read with me in Philippians 2, 1 through 8. It says, "If If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so, man, Jesus is really the ultimate example of being a leader and the ultimate example of being a servant. So it makes sense that we look to him to shape us into servant leaders as well. And so tonight we'll look at three specific things from this passage that should shape our thinking if we want to be servant leaders. And come on, that's what we all want. We're not necessarily going to look at at what to think. Tonight we're going to look at how to think by examining this example of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, if we can get ourselves to think the way Jesus thinks, man, then he'll be able to use us as we strive to be more and more like him. So think about it. If Jesus is the ultimate servant leader, well, the closer we can get our minds to line up with his and our thoughts to line up with his, the better we'll be at being servant leaders. So let's pray and ask God that he can do that in our lives tonight. God, We thank you so much uh, for your word and what it communicates to us. And we thank you so much for uh, the gift of Jesus Christ, who's who's served us in so many ways and and demonstrated us what it means to be a leader. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, through Jesus' example and and, and the thoughts that he he had, that, that we can just learn from that and become more like Jesus as we seek to serve you and to serve our church body. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So the first thing we see in this passage that we should allow to shape our thinking is in verses 1 and 2, and we'll look at that in point number 1, which tells us that we need to make sure we're thinking in unity. And again, we see that in verses 1 and 2, so I'll read those again. It says, If there be be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So here, Paul is telling us that if we want the consolation the comfort, and the fellowship that comes along with being with him, we as Christians, together in a church, 
need to be like-minded. We have to be of one mind. Now, that might sound a little restrictive at first. Why do we all have to think the same thing? Well, this isn't saying that we have to think the same things about everything. We're all allowed to have our own opinions about different things. I like movies you don't like. You like music I don't like, especially if you like country. But <laughs> this isn't saying that everyone in our church family has to agree on everything 100% of the time. Instead, what this is saying is that we all have to be like-minded with Christ. We can see that Jesus Christ is the example of this down in verse 5 of, of Philippians 2, when Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so this mind that, that, that we're supposed to have in us refers to what we'll see in the following verses. So we'll see later tonight what this mind that was in Christ Jesus really was. It's actually a very specific thing, and we'll see that. But generally, we can understand that we, as Christians and as church members, we should think the way that, that Christ thinks. That's why it's actually not a restrictive thing that we're called to be like-minded and of one mind, because the one mind we're supposed to have is, is the mind of Christ. And this is a common thing we can see in the New Testament. We're called to have one mind as a group of believers. For example, Philippians 1.27 uh, says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together, for the faith of the gospel. And we can see the same thing in 1 Peter 3.8 that says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. So what exactly does it mean to be of one mind? Well, obviously it has to do with having the same goal and working towards it together. We'll actually talk about the goals of, a servant, of servant leaders next week, um, but, but specifically having the same mind means that we're going to speak the same things and have no divisions among us. That's what Paul hits on in 1 Corinthians because the Corinthian church was really struggling with this. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So there, in that passage, you have the biblical definition of unity. Different people have different ideas of what unity should be, but that's what God thinks unity should be in a church. Speaking the same thing, meaning you have to believe and teach the same things. And the best way to make sure you do that is to stick to the Bible. If what we're speaking comes from God's word or is at least logically based on Bible principles, then we'll be speaking the same thing because we'll all be of the same mind. And we'll know that it's the mind that God wants us to have because it's rooted in his word. That's how you have unity. That's how you prevent divisions in your church. You stick to the book. You stick to the Bible. But man, churches struggle with that. The Corinthian church certainly did. You can look further down in that passage in verses 11 through 15 to see some of those troubles. It says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that, that every one of you that saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. So man, these guys were putting up divisions among themselves. They were putting walls between each other, and they didn't need to be. Uh, they shouldn't have been. And 
It's never good for the health of a church body when people do that, regardless of what the reason is. Imagine if you, you took your, your, your human body that, that you're living in right now and divide your left arm from the rest of your body. Sure, your body might survive, but, but would your left arm survive? No, of course not. It doesn't have everything it needs to survive. So part of the body would die, and the part of your body that remained would be worse off because it would only have one arm, and you're supposed to have two. Well, the same idea is true of a church body. Divisions only serve to cause damage. So we need to make sure we have the same mind. We need to make sure we're thinking in unity because unity in Christ is so critical. By the way, this kind of biblical unity is only possible for us because we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But what does it really mean to have the mind of Christ? Well, it's not that complicated. In context, this passage is talking about understanding the things that the Holy Ghost teaches. If you jump back to 1 Corinthians 2.13, you can see that. It says, which things also we speak, so there's that speaking again, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And we can see in 2 Peter where the Holy Ghost's teaching can be found. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So as the Holy Ghost taught, men wrote it down, and God preserved that for us in scripture, in the Bible. So this means that we have the mind of Christ because we have the Bible. So our thinking has to revolve around God's words. We have to allow it to shape and direct what we think and what we do so that we can be unified together around that. Jesus has given us his mind and his words so we can know what to believe, what to think, what to say, and how to live. And if we didn't have that, we'd all just be guessing on what to think or say, and of course we'd disagree. You'd probably have as many different ideas as there are people in this room. But if we all agree that God's word is our authoritative source of truth, well, then we can just let it tell us what to believe, think, and say. And then we'll all agree, at least on the important stuff that the Bible talks about. Sure, we might disagree on what the Bible doesn't talk about or things that it's, it's, it's more loose on. But we can understand that we have liberty in those things as long as we're careful to remember that we're to have unity in the other things. So some things the Bible is absolutely clear on. There, there's, there's no second guessing what the Word of God says. Jesus is both God and man. That's one example. Mankind is naturally sinful and needs to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. God created everything and has always existed. It's not okay to knowingly live in sin. Jesus is returning one day to fix the world and set up his kingdom. Stuff like that. These are examples of things that the Bible clearly communicates. And those are things that we all need to believe and speak because the Bible is clear on them. But other things the Bible isn't so clear on. For example, sure, the Bible tells us we can worship the Lord by singing songs, but what kind of songs should we sing? Where should we get those songs from? Should we only sing songs we find in the Bible? Because there's songs in the Bible. They don't rhyme because they were written in different languages, but, but there's songs in there. Should we only sing songs that are written by people who believe exactly the same thing we do? Or should we feel comfortable singing any song as long as it's correct in what it says? People have different opinions on that, and, and it's okay to have different opinions on that, as long as you recognize that it's okay for others 
to have different opinions on that. Like, you just have to recognize that that's okay. And when you recognize that's okay, you can stay unified despite having different opinions. Those are just some specific examples, but these are kinds of things that you want to think about when you're thinking in unity. And, these are, and this kind of thinking is so important to God that he actually gives us instructions on dealing with division and the people who cause it. Romans 16, 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. And notice again, this has a lot to do with doctrine, the things you believe and the things you speak. So our doctrine must come from the Bible. And we've been talking about that. And we need to watch out for others who might be teaching bad doctrine, which comes from somewhere other than the Bible. Because if you believe and speak bad doctrine, well, now our church is biblically divided, and that's, that's, a never, that's never a good thing, especially if your bad doctrine gets caught by other people and they start speaking and believing that. Well, now you've got people who are, who are believing and speaking two different things, and, and that's just division. Um, and, and that's not a good thing, because if you believe and speak that bad doctrine, well, now you're divided, and that's not what you want. So we have to let the Bible inform our beliefs and teach us our doctrine. And as long as we do that, well, we can speak and believe the same thing, because we all have the same mind. And practically, we can see what that looks like when we live that out, and when we think in unity, if we look at Colossians 3, um, verses 11 through 17, it, it describes what, what a church should look like when, when everybody's unified. Uh, verse 11 says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So any physical differences between people as a result of you know, who they are or what, what their living situation was when they grew up, like none of that matters. Verse 12, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So again, charity is what's going to bind us together. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Man, I want that to describe my church. I want that to describe the body that I'm a part of. So you better believe I'm going to strive to do my part by making sure my thoughts are in unity with my church, by making sure my thoughts are lined up with God's words. And when it comes to the specifics of how I'm ministering and serving uh, to try to do the work of the Lord in my life, I'm going to make sure I'm thinking about those things in the context of my church. So man, when it comes to serving, I put it on your sheet this way. A servant who is thinking in unity will be plugged into his or her church's vision and structure. And so I'm going to, I realize that might be a pretty vague statement, so I'm going to give you uh, just one example of this, and hopefully that clears it up. Um, our church has, has a four-step path for growth. What are those steps? Does anybody know them off the top of your head? Attend, learn, engage, and lead. Yeah, some of you know them. That's good. Um, they're, they're in big four red circles in our lobby, so get those in your mind. Um, but each of those steps has various expectations as you grow through them. You know, you go through personal discipleship, and then you go through ministry tools and training, and then you can go through LFBI if you want. 
stuff like that. There's different things involved with each of the different steps. Well, you don't find those steps listed out in Scripture. Uh, you can't open to one of Paul's letters and find him talking about ministry tools and training classes and what material gets covered in there. there that's, that's not something you find immediately in the Bible. So why do we do things that way? Well, that path for growth is just based on Bible principles, and it's been laid out in a way that the leadership of our church believes is effective at helping church members grow into able ministers for the Lord. So as a part of First Baptist Church, if you want to grow in your walk with God, well, you can do that in unity by doing it the way your church has laid out. Does that make sense? So we're unified because we're plugged into the same structure and working towards similar goals. So doing that on your own, uh, trying to, to walk through your, your spiritual growth on your own without being plugged into your church, um, man, it, it's, it's not really going to work out that well because you don't have other people to invest in you. But, but doing that is also dangerous because you're dividing yourself from the rest of your church body. So staying plugged into your church's vision and structure in different ways like that will help safeguard the unity that's essential to your church's ministry and survival. And so in, in that example... You being plugged into FBC's path of growth ensures that as a church, we continue to be, have strong, capable ministers from now into the future. There's a, there's a reason why our church has been around for 160 years. We didn't have ministry tools and training when it first started. That's, that's a recent thing. But, but that's the idea. If, if we continue together as a church and not as individuals, well, the church continues beyond the life of any one person. Um, and, that's, and that's really what we want. We want the church to continue being a light in our community and in the world for, for the rest of forever until Jesus comes back. That's, that's what we should be working towards because we're unified. So yes, we must serve the Lord. We just have to remember that we're serving as a part of a whole. And we're serving with one accord and with one mind. And, and that has to guide how we think about our service. But if we can do that, well, that's going to help us with point number two, and that's thinking in humility. And that's what we see in verse three uh, of Philippians two. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So we have to serve in lowliness of mind, which just means our thinking has to be humble, and we have to put others before us. And again, Jesus is that, the example of that, and we can see the example down in verses six and seven. And this example is extremely obvious, but we couldn't actually have a stronger example. So Philippians 2, 6, and 7 again says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And man, think about the level of humility that that required. Jesus is God, but he chose to become a human being. That's what John chapter 1 tells us. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, with a capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you drop down to verse 14, you can see, and the Word was made flesh. It's talking about Jesus. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So man, Jesus was God. He's existed forever, but He chose to be made flesh and dwell among us. And not only did he become a human being, he became a poor human being of no earthly stature. He made himself be born into a poor family from Nazareth, which was frequently looked down upon. You can see that in John 1, 46. Uh, and Nathanael said unto him, can there be any good thing that come out of Nazareth? That was a common sentiment of the day. Nazareth was just like a, 
It was like a Strasbourg, I guess. <laughs> I'm trying to think of. You're, yeah, you're still, that's a, yeah, it was just a, like, it was a T County. Like, is, is anybody cool coming out of T County? No, no. We don't have, I mean, have there ever been any U.S. presidents that came from T County? I think not. But, so, we don't have to spend much time seeing how Jesus was humble. Um, he, was, he was the God of the universe and became a human being. Um, and he became a human being that he knew was going to be looked down on by other human beings. Uh, we already talked about that last week when we looked at Jesus as the prime example of a servant leader when we saw his heart. But we need to understand what it means to think in humility and in lowliness of mind. Because unless we're making efforts to think in humility, we're going to do exactly the opposite. And we're going to end up thinking in pride. And the Bible regularly warns us about pride and envy and the damage it can do uh, to a church body. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but the well-advised, or with the well-advised is wisdom. So pride in our individual lives is going to lead to contention in our corporate life together. And that just hinders our ability to serve the Lord together. So we, we need to not leave room for pride to get involved. And we see the same kind of thinking in Galatians 5.26. It says, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So man, you need to be careful uh, what your thoughts are about, uh, or what your thoughts are about your service to the Lord. Do you spend time thinking about how good your service is going to make you look to the people around you? Because that's not thinking in humility. Or worse, do you think about how your humble service will show everyone around you how humble of a servant you are? Because that's not thinking in humility either, and that's bordering on ironic. So, so watch out, because you'll be the butt of jokes. Um, or are you spending time thinking about how God deserves your time and effort in service to him and how you're thankful for the opportunity to be used by him? Man, that's thinking in humility. Jesus is clear in Luke 18 that serving the Lord in this life hinges on being humble and having the right heart attitude about yourself and your service. Luke 18:14 says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And man, practically, that means we're going we're gonna to put others first in our life if we're thinking in humility. Our passage in Philippians 2 says that if we're thinking in lowliness of mind, we'll esteem others better than ourselves. And when we do that, man, you, we put others first. And this idea obviously applies to, to the lost people in your life. We spent an entire series uh, in April looking at the importance of laying our desires aside so we can have opportunities to share the gospel with the people who need it. But man, this also applies in our church and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. And so man, this doesn't mean you're going to get along with everyone in your church just automatically. But what it does mean is that you have to learn to deal with one another and work together to accomplish the work of the Lord. If you prefer someone else to yourself, man, what, what, what state they're in and what they're thinking is more important to you than what your state is and what you're thinking. That's thinking in humility. Um, Ephesians 4.2 says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And I get it. That's just not easy with some people. It's, it's harder to forbear some people than it is to forbear others. But if you're thinking in humility, man, that's what you'll do. 
you'll, you'll, you'll be lowly and meek with long-suffering and forbear one another in love. You'll realize the work of the Lord is just too important to allow it to be ruined by petty differences in personality or opinion. And like we talked about, man, you should never sacrifice sound doctrine, what the Bible teaches. Any real biblical unity is based on sound doctrine. Uh, but man, you can put your personal preferences aside to work together. You don't have to sacrifice doctrine, but, but our personal preferences are just that. They're just what we want, and they're not as important, or, or they shouldn't be as important to us as, as our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Ephesians gets at when it talks about uh, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God in Ephesians 5, 21. And, and this idea is especially true when it comes to, to church leaders and ministry leaders throughout our church. Man, thinking in humility is critical for our unity because it allows us to serve together under effective leadership without allowing divisions among the workforce. So thinking in unity and thinking in humility go hand in hand. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you being subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So man, you want, you want your ministry and your service to be used by the Lord? Make sure it's done in genuine humility, especially in the context of working together with those around you. This isn't the corporate world where you have to step on people to climb the ladder and gain attention or notoriety. This is the body of Christ, so don't treat it like that. We either succeed together or we fail separately. Lowliness of mind in each of us, no matter what our level of responsibility or leadership is, man, that's the key to working together. Thinking in humility is what, is what we all need to do if we want to do our part in the work of the Lord. Even if you're being asked to do something that maybe isn't your favorite thing to do. Uh, Romans 12, 3 through 5 says, for, for I say, though the grace given unto me to, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as... We have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And so I put it on your sheet this way. A servant who's thinking in humility continues to serve when he or she would rather be doing something else, despite any interpersonal problems that pop up along the way. And I get it. This kind of thinking is hard. It goes completely contrary to our flesh and what, what our flesh wants us to think. But man, it's only hard because it runs contrary to our fleshly desires. But remember, it becomes easier as you think in unity because you remember that you're a member of a church body. And when you have that in mind, it's easier for you to be humble because the church body has work to do. And, and the church body has to do the, that work together. But not every member can do the same thing. We all have different roles and different functions that need to be done. And sometimes, sometimes that means doing something that, that maybe you don't really want to do. It doesn't mean you have to do that thing forever. Good ministry leaders will try to work with you to make sure you're serving in a role that you enjoy and find fulfilling. But man, thinking in humility makes you realize that you feeling fulfilled and enjoying your ministry is, is not the final goal of serving. It's nice when it works out that way and, and you could try to work towards that. There's nothing wrong with that. But the goal of you serving is doing your part to make sure the work of the Lord gets done and your church body is functioning. So keeping that in mind, Thinking in humility and thinking in unity will help you with point number three, and that's thinking in sacrifice. And that's what we see in verse four, which says, Look not every man on his own things, 
but every man also on the things of others. So frequently, as servant leaders, it's just, this is just the case. We, servant leaders have to give up what they want for the benefit of the others around them. This was especially true of Jesus. We can see that down in Philippians 2.8. It says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus obviously wasn't as concerned about himself as he was concerned about us. Remember, he asked God to not make him go through the terrible experience that he knew he'd have to endure with his death on the cross. Matthew 26, 39, uh, it says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He didn't want to go through that. Who would? But even though it's clearly not what he wanted, man, he submitted to God's will for our benefit. Because if he hadn't died on the cross we'd have no way to be saved. If he hadn't willingly sacrificed himself for us, man, we'd be lost and without hope. But because he did sacrifice himself for us, man, now we're better off because now we have a chance to respond to the gospel. Um, and, and, and simply responding to the gospel, man, buys you eternal life because Jesus paid for that for you in his sacrifice. Now, in the end, Jesus is quote-unquote better off because of his sacrifice, because, because of his sacrifice, he has a body and a bride that he's purchased for himself. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says he bought us with a price. So, so Jesus' sacrifice was worth it for him in the long run, but our sacrifice in our lives, that's also worth it for us when we serve sacrificially, because God rewards us for that. 1 Corinthians 3.7-9 says, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So man, God will reward us according to our own labor, even though we do different things. Some people plant, some people water. God makes the plant grow, but God rewards the planter and the waterer uh, based on their labor. And so you better believe that God's keeping track of everything that you willingly sacrifice for him with the right heart attitude because that sacrifice enables you to minister better as you, as you set your desires aside to serve others. That's what Colossians 3 tells us in verses 23 and 24. It says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye, or ye serve the Lord Christ. So man, please understand that God knows that being a servant and being a servant leader involves sacrifice. He understands that better than anyone because he made the ultimate sacrifice in the person of Jesus Christ. So our service to him should reflect that same thought process that he had. So rather than thinking about what we can get by serving, man, we ought to think about what we can get for others by serving. We should be willing to part with our time, our effort, our resources to improve the lives of our church members and the lives of the lost people around us who need to hear the gospel. That's thinking in sacrifice. Thinking, what can I give up so that I can serve better? What can I, what can I do in someone else's life to improve uh, their relationship with the Lord, to improve their uh, situation, whatever it might be? Because remember, it's possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons. Titus 1.11 talks about people who do things for the wrong reasons. It says there's people who teach things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. 
And filthy lucre just refers to physical things they're trying to get out of their service. But our minds shouldn't even be considering what we get as a result of our service. 1 Peter 5.2 says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So our motivation behind our service matters to the Lord. And our motivation should be service to others, not ourselves. Shouldn't be considered, considering, man, if I, if I just serve the Lord in this capacity, then, then I'll, I'll, I'll get this certain amount of uh, respect. And this, it's not what it's about. Think and sacrifice. The improvement that our service makes in our church body should be what motivates us, despite the fact that our service requires sacrifice on our part. So practically, this just means that we give up what we want for what the Lord wants. It's really that simple. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And man, that's the definition of service to the Lord, presenting your body as a living sacrifice. And that's fair. Remember, if you're saved, you've given your life to Jesus Christ and he's purchased you with his sacrifice for you. So it's reasonable that he expects the same thing from you. But we're not just talking about giving up what we want for what the Lord wants. Our passage in Philippians 2 discusses giving up what we want for others. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So when you esteem others over yourself, man, you'll sacrifice of yourself in order to serve them. And doing that takes love, because love by definition is sacrificial, at least biblical love. And love between believers proves God is present. John 13, 35 says, But this shall, or by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So man, sacrificially loving one another through our service to our church body is really what we're talking about. And this kind of personal sacrifice is what serves to edify the others in our church body. And it proves to the lost world that God is involved in this place. Paul hits on this in Romans 15, 1 through 3. It says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. And again, Jesus Christ is the ultimate example. And following his lead is what's going to keep our church strong as we continue serving the Lord together into the future. 1 Peter 2.5 says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so with that, I wrapped up this point in your notes. A servant whose thinking and sacrifice continues to give of himself or herself for the benefit of those around them. And so again, it's critical to understand that you're a part of a bigger whole. On a larger scale, you're a part of First Baptist Church. And there's any number of ways you can be serving the other members of your church, and we'll actually be talking about that in the coming weeks, I promise. But on a smaller scale, you're a part of the well. And there's some smaller ways that you can be serving each other here. But true service to each other requires sacrifice, and there's no doubt about that, regardless of, of what level you're serving one another at. So make sure you have the right heart attitude about what you do. But as we wrap up tonight, let's, let's talk about the well for a bit. You know why the well meets on Tuesday nights? Because Ignite uses this building on Wednesday nights, so we can't. <laughs> that said, it's a cool side effect. There's a cool side effect of that. 
in that we, the young adult life group of First Baptist Church, we're more available to serve throughout the week in other ministries in our church. So, real quick, I'm going to embarrass some of you. How many of you serve in Extreme or Ignite? If we met on Wednesdays, you guys couldn't come here with us. How many of you serve in New Beginnings? If we met on Thursdays, you guys wouldn't be able to come here. I could, I could do that with several other ministries that go on throughout our church. Tuesday nights are special because nothing happens on Tuesday nights. <laughs> but because we meet on Tuesday nights, well, we can be available to serve in various ministries throughout the week and still have this time together. And really, that's what the well should be, isn't it? Tuesdays are when we gather to fellowship and to be encouraged and motivated to go out and serve the Lord throughout our church during the rest of the week. And that's important because as young adults, you guys generally have more time and certainly more energy to serve than the other people in our church. So man, we ought to be in just about every ministry our church has. And the cool part is that's actually pretty true of this group. Sure, there's some of you that could stand to be more involved than you are, and we'll talk about specific ways you can do that as we continue in this series. But generally, man, I mean, you guys saw the hands when I just asked for hands for two ministries of our church. I see a lot of you guys scattered around our church throughout the week in ministry, and, and that's a fantastic thing. It really is. But remember what I said about a church's ministry needing to continue beyond the life of any one person. Well, on a smaller scale, we should be trying to do that in the well, too, on Tuesday nights. Just because the well is involved in ministry throughout our church now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be the case in the future. Someday, you're not going to be a young, a young adult anymore, and you're going to leave the well, and Trish is going to cry. Um, <laughs> so, so when you're no longer a young adult and you leave the well, ask yourself, how will the well be different because of the time you spent here? Look, I'm not asking you to start serving at the well on top of what you're already doing in other areas of our church. I'm not passing around a sign-up sheet of, of specific ways that that you can serve at the well. We obviously have a worship team that serves at the well. We've got people in the sound booth that serve at the well. That's not even what I'm getting at tonight. Man, what I am getting at is something far more simple. You can use Tuesdays as an opportunity to invest in the lives of the other young adults of FBC to strengthen and encourage them in their ministry as you're strengthened and encouraged in yours. So we can do this together. And yes, ultimately, it's, it's my job along with Zach and Nick and our wives and Bruno and Chrissy and Steve and Tina. It, it's, it, it's on us to do our part to encourage and motivate all of you for ministry. But man, you can also get plugged into that as you serve one another by encouraging each other to continue strong in service to the Lord. So yes, come on Tuesdays and enjoy the fellowship at the well on Tuesday nights. Personally, I love hanging out with you guys. You're literally my favorite group of people to be around. Um, and I'm not even saying that to, like, I'm not even joking. But if you, if you come looking for opportunities to edify one another as you're being edified by the fellowship we have, man, you can help make sure the well stays strong as we serve FBC together. And like Zach mentioned last week, we actually have a great opportunity for that coming up with a new crop of high school graduates. We're actually taking an entire Tuesday evening on May 31st to just hang out with them and get to know them. The thing is, though, 
we as leaders can only do so much to make them feel welcome and motivated to be a part of what, we, of what it is we do here. And the bulk of that's going to be on you guys. Think back to your first few times at the well. Who made you feel welcome to be here? You can be that person for someone else. You can help them start thinking in unity, humility, and sacrifice by demonstrating that to them, by loving them the way we should. Because at the end of the day, man, that's what it's going to take to edify one another. We have to think like servants. We have to think like Jesus. We have to start changing our thoughts so we're more geared towards protecting unity in our church and seeing our individual service as a part of our church's service to the Lord. We have to start changing our thoughts so we're, we're more likely to remain humble throughout our service. And we have to start seeing opportunities to sacrifice of ourselves for the others in our body and taking those opportunities to prove the love of Christ and edify one another. And that's why we're here. So let's get to it. This is going to be a fun summer. we got a lot going on. Um, so, man, think on those things. Gear your mind the way Jesus geared his mind. Get your mind lined up with God's word um, so that we can do this thing together. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for just how clearly, um, not only do you explain your expectations in your word, you also give us a clear example in the person of Jesus Christ. And man, if, if you hadn't humbled yourself to, to put yourself in that position, we wouldn't have that example to turn to. Um, and so, so we're thankful for that and just ask that you continue to communicate that to us throughout this series and that you just weigh on our hearts exactly uh, what it is we need to change in our lives so that we can uh, have your heart, so we can have your mind, so that we can have your goals and we can, have, and we can make decisions that glorify you um, as, we, as we seek to serve one another and seek to serve uh, ultimately you. Because at the end of the day, Lord, whatever it is we're doing, we want to do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.